Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Good morning. I'll be reading from John 15, 9 through 15. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. No greater love has one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Hey, my name is Matt Delano. Uh, my family and I have been here at this church for four years, and this is my experience through the vision process. Uh, one of the things I've experienced throughout most of my life as a minister, um, and even just personally, is that I thrive off of relationships with other people. And while I love that and have felt filled by that, I realize that I have been missing something for so long. And what's beautiful is that as I was realizing this, we were in the midst of this vision process and they were running parallel, my own spiritual journey to our church's spiritual journey. Um, And what was beautiful is that I realized there was some dry bones in the midst of my spiritual journey. And part of that was just because I didn't know what it looked like to abide in the presence of God. Uh, And then in the midst of the vision process, uh, I had an opportunity to jump into an encounter session Um, And I thought I was fully ready to jump in, to experience God, to sing. Um, I had feelings for sure of gratitude, of excitement, of of hope. Um, And yet, when I entered into the space, for the first hour, as we sang songs that I loved, I couldn't sing. Every time I opened my mouth, all I did was cry. There was something deep within me that was locked up, that was hurting, that needed God to groan on my behalf until I was freed, freed of my feelings of of not being enough, freed of my feelings of frustration, 
with relationships, feelings of shame that I haven't experienced God in deeper ways. And when I was freed, I was able to sing like I never had before. One of the awesome parts of this experience is that I've been able to pick up some new rhythms and habits uh, when it comes to sitting with God. Uh, whether that's praying through scripture, uh, whether that is uh, silence or solitude, things that I don't love to do, uh, but I've chosen to do and have experienced centering and fullness through. Um, and I love looking forward in this vision and thinking about the future of Round Rock, the reality that I have sat across the table from so many of you, uh, through coffees, through laughter, through meals. Um, and I know so many of you have felt the ache of this last season, a discontentment with how things are uh, or how, things, how, the, how you want things to be, uh, whether that's in your personal life or in this church. And yet I also see that there is a stirring of the Spirit going on in so many of you. My hope is that you will give this a shot. Throughout the rest of the year, we are going to shoulder tap everyone uh, in the congregation to have an, an opportunity to experience a space of renewal, both individually and collectively, so that we might lean in to the reality that we are people that are filled and led by the Spirit, creating a space for those who don't have a home yet. Thank you, Ray. Can we give Ray a round of applause? There we go. <laughs> Slight delay. Uh, those final words that Matt said, uh, that's what we've said for the next three years. This is our focus as a church, uh, to be a spirit-filled, spirit-led place uh, for those who do not have a home. And last week, we started a series where we basically just asked the question of before in August, when we start talking about making a home for other people, we're just asking the question of, how are we doing in our church home? How are we doing in the place that we call our home? And one of the things we talked about was uh, on this first week of like, when you start talking about the ache that you have for church, uh, or when you want more from the place that you call home, there's kind of two approaches that happen. Uh, I kind of used this illustration last week of like, it's very close to uh, the approach of like grocery shopping when you're really hungry. Uh, the first one is you just go into that grocery store uh, and you just put everything in the cart possible that you are hungry for in the moment. You're like, I've had this before. I'm just going to throw it in the cart. 
Uh, and that's one approach that when you talk about your church home, uh, you can have. You're like, you know, I'm really hungry. I'm starving for more. We need to do more. We need to do. I had this in the past. We should do this in the past. Uh, and you just kind of pile on all these things. And we talked about how um, just because you do a lot of things doesn't necessarily mean there's intentionality behind it. And then the second thing that we talked about, the second approach was uh, not running to the grocery store and adding more things into the car, but instead an approach that stops and takes stock. So what we're doing for the next couple of weeks is we're just asking some questions. We're hoping to finish each sermon to where there are questions that each of us can process and think about as we move towards August. Now, this four part of the series, uh, the first one that we about last week was, uh, do you have a place that you call home where there are people who know that you are living out the gospel with them? Today, we're going to talk about, do you have people? The third one is, do you have practices that you're doing with a group of people? And fourth is, do you have a purpose in the place that you call home? Today's question is all about, do you have people? Do you have your people with it? Maybe I start with people. Let me just uh, start with one person, and then we'll move from there. Uh, do we know who this person is? This is Ed. If you do not know Ed Sharon, I'm going to introduce you. You know, Ed this is the church. Church. This is Ed. Okay. If you don't know who Ed Sharon is, okay, it, every generation's got a guy. Okay. All right. You can go to any generation. You got him. Fifties. You got Elvis. In this day and age. Ed is the guy, okay? Everyone knows it. If you have, if you have a kid, if you have a grandkid, okay, you just, all you got to do is pull out this question and be like, what's your favorite Ed Sharon song? Okay, you're instantly hip, okay? Now, I got to warn you, if you use the word hip, you're instantly out as well, okay? <laughs> it's a real fragile land, okay? Don't use that word hip. It's not actually cool, okay? And don't use cool because that's not cool either. <laughs> Just to give you an idea of Ed Sheeran, he is the top, 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 top listens on Spotify. Just to think about it, the Beatles in their lifetime had 17 number one hits across their entire career. Ed Sheeran has 14, and the man's only 32 years old. Has barely been in the music industry. He's taking it by storm. And I tell you about Ed, not because I want you to go listen to his music. I, I know some of you now. You would not like his music, okay? It would disturb you. You wouldn't enjoy it, okay? Some of you may, but a lot of you wouldn't. I tell you that because I want to tell you a story about Ed. In the very beginning of Ed Sheeran's career, most people don't know, uh, he would play anywhere and everywhere. And one of the things that he would do is he would go to places where they were just willing to let him play. And he had a following. People would follow along with him. At one point in his career, and this is the guy that's number one today. At one point in this guy's career, he is on stage singing one of his songs and he gets to the next verse and he just misses it. It's gone. He doesn't know what the next verse of his song is. Stops in the middle of the performance in front of hundreds of people. He can't remember it to save his life. And there is a little girl on the front row that says to Ed, Psst, I know your song. And he goes, well, come up here and sing it with me. Because apparently I can't do it. So the little girl gets up there and he thinks this is going to be like a really cute act. This will be fun. She gets up there and she belts it. 
word for word. He harmonizes with her for the rest of the song. And before she goes down, he just gives her her guitar and he says, thank you for being my friend tonight. This is the number one guy. Completely forgot his song and his lyrics. You know, people have said, this quote has been everywhere, that a friend knows the song in your heart and sings it to you when your memory fails. Some of you have known this to be very true when it comes to your friendships. This is also very true for any follower, any friend of Jesus. But the difference with Jesus is Jesus actually gives you the song of what you are to sing to people. But the question is just what is that song? You know, I saw a stat earlier that um, actually said that uh, on average in your phone, you have somewhere between 47 to 210 contacts. I find that number to be very dreadful. But all of us have all these different contacts. But people are also telling us in society that this is the most loneliest time. It's actually interesting that they compare men to women, and men actually have double the amount of contacts that women have in their phone. And surprisingly, we're in a pandemic where men do not have friends at all. Just because you make contact with someone doesn't imply that there's friendship. But then there's the question of, then what does friendship actually look like? That's not a new question. It's actually been a question that's existed for a long time. Uh, one of the things we do is we hop into conversations that have been happening long time before us. One of the person who had that conversation uh, was a thinker, a philosopher by Aristotle. His name, Aristotle, he was the one who first started the conversation to be like, what is truly friendship? What is truly people? And he put them in three different categories. He said, when you think about the people that you know, they tend to function in one of the three. You have utility friends, you have friends of pleasure, and then you have... What he meant by friends of utility is uh, there is a purpose. There is a connection. There's some type of benefit of having this friend. I want you to think about this is your neighbor who has that really nice blower that you're like, we don't want to make him angry, okay? I need that blower. As a matter of fact, some of you are actually that person. You're that neighbor, okay? They're like, don't make them upset. We need Jack's blower, okay? All right, so some are friendships of utility. They're also friendships of pleasure. These are the people that you're like, man, when we get together, we have a good time. Or they're the people that get you connected with those who have a really good time. But the third level is just a true friend. Aristotle would say, this is a friend who there is something shared a connection, something that is meaningful there. But I think the question that everyone asks, and even Aristotle would ask, is shared around what? Like, is it just Friday night? Is it just vacation spots? Is it a common show? And Jesus followers have actually had an answer to that question. Early Christians would actually say there are friends, but there are also those who are friends in the Lord, that they share in the life of the Lord. And the question is just, what is a friend in the Lord? You know, Jesus had a lot of like complex moments. If you flip through the life of Jesus through the scriptures, uh, there are moments where Jesus just information loads 
like just offloads on people. When he saw the crowd, he went up on mountainside. He sat down and he began to preach and he just unloads. Blessed, blessed, blessed. I mean, they were just taking notes like they weren't actually taking notes, but they're taking notes. There were other times where Jesus would say things that are like, oh, that is a spunky Jesus. When I saw that, I saw him like Satan falling from the sky. What are you talking about? And then there's other times with Jesus. Like the days right before his death where Jesus gets very simple and he gets very clear. There's something about death that makes us start to look simply at life and get very clear. John 15, when you hear those words, this is Jesus getting very simple and very clear. In John 15, he is moments away from his death and he gets simple and clear. He says, I need you to abide in me. I need you to stay connected with me. And then Jesus in verse 15 says that phrase. He says, because I call you friends. Jesus, the one that was at the very beginning of it all, says, I call you friends. If you do these things, you will live in my friendship. So in John 15, when Jesus actually says, you're my friends. We should take our cues from, okay, so how does Jesus talk about friendship and connection? Because Jesus says that we have friendship and connection with him. So I've got just four questions that I want to give you that just arise from John 15 when Jesus actually talks about his friends. So the first question is just this, is do we provide the time for our people? Do we provide them the time? I want you to notice at the very beginning of that passage that was just read in John 15, 9, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Plain and simple. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. I want you to think about for a second with the disciples. At this point in their life, what is there to love about the disciples? They're flaky. They ask questions. They get hangry. Honestly, the life of the disciples, they lack accomplishment. But Jesus says, I call you friends because of companionship, not accomplishment. That's a word for some of us this morning is that life with Jesus is not about accomplishment, not reaching a certain place, and then he's your friend. It's the love of God that's just available to you, that he desires companionship. The one thing the disciples have when he says, so I have loved you. The only accomplishment they really have at this point is time. Time that they've spent with Jesus. Friends are those that you spend a lot of time with. You know, um, Holly Packham, who uh, just writes beautifully on friendship, she brings in this case study that the University of Kentucky did. Um, and it was one of the longest studies that they had done. And basically, the whole study was, how long does it take for you to truly reach a threshold to where someone is a close friend? And the information's like slightly disturbing, especially for people in the West, in America. They found that just to move from acquaintance to being like, yeah, I know them, takes 50 hours. 
And then they emphasize leisurely hours. Not when you're working with them. Not when you've got a shared purpose with them. When you have spent 50 hours just on a couch. But then they went further and they just asked, what's it take for someone to be like, I'm good friends with this person. And the University of Kentucky came to the conclusion, it takes 200 leisure hours to spend time. Maybe one of the most groundbreaking things we can do in being friends with one another is actually scheduling time with each other. You know, the intentions are extremely good. Like, you know, I'll just, we'll, we'll hang out. We'll hang out at some point. I heard a quote once that someone was just like, you know, friendship is basically seeing that person and being like, oh, we should, we should hang out, and you never do, and then one day you die. Sometimes we need to just schedule the time with our friends. To be friends means that we actually connect and we schedule that time. Here's the second question. Do we provide invitations? Do we provide invitations? When Jesus talks to the people that he calls friends, he actually says the phrase, if you keep my commands. He says, if you do it, if you're willing to keep my commands. There's this weird relationship with Jesus that there is freedom, there's need for relationship, but he doesn't force it on you. If you turn all the way back to the beginning pages of Genesis, that literally, like, this is when everything's going good. Nothing's gone wrong yet. No one's ate a piece of fruit. There's literally God saying it's not good for this man to be alone. Your need for friendship is not something wrong with you. It's actually something God designed in you. And when it comes to your friendship with God, God knows you need it, but he doesn't force it on you. He invites you to it. And it may help us. Some of us actually take the same posture when it comes to invitation. You know, I know for some of us with our friends, when we see them going on a route that we're like, ooh, that's toxic. When we see them going a route that we're like, ooh, don't go there. The best thing that we can do is we can invite them to something different. But whenever humanity tries to take control, things always run into problems. You know, I remember in the very beginning of marriage counseling, um, they, would, they would kind of teach uh, thinking about the spectrum of differentiation. If you're not familiar with that term, that's a term coined by Dr. Murray, who talks about differentiation is crucial in friendships and relationships. And the two sides of the spectrum is the first one is you have enmeshment, where you are so deeply connected with that person that you can't be yourself because if you are yourself outside of that person, then you don't feel acceptance. The other side of that is detachment. This would just be like, I'm just so hands off, it's not even funny. When I would do young adult ministry, the number one thing that I would watch for with young adults was detached was, I'm going to make these decisions and I don't even care what my parents think about them. Even a step further would be like, if they don't like it, then I'm definitely going to do it. That's detachment. And then enmeshment. This is where you can't, you can't think anything different politically. You can't go to a different church than the church that you've been raised in. 
that you're so bonded to that person that you can't think outside of that person or you feel like you don't have acceptance. One of the ways that we test enmeshment, which I think a decent amount of us who have gone through marriage feel enmeshment, is when you get to that first holiday of the year and you're asking, whose family are we going to? Is the family going to be okay if we're not there on Christmas Day? Is that okay or not? Are we so deeply enmeshed that we can't even hold that tension? Do we invite our friends? Do we keep our invitations out there? Or do we try to control our friendships? Because control, it just kills, it squashes, it destroys. But invitations, they invite, they bring freedom. A third question is just this. Do we know the Spirit's work in them? I want you to notice what Jesus says when he says, this is how you know that we are friends. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what the master's business is. I've called you friends because everything I've learned from the Father, I have made known to you. Friends know what the Father is doing in the life of others. They know. One of the things with friendships in the Lord is actually being aware of what the Spirit is doing in friends. There's a professor by the name of Dr. Dr. Kurt Thompson who he's got these four questions that I think really help move friendships from just talking about, you know, what'd you do last Friday to like getting to some soul questions. Four questions that he usually touches base on is, you know, one, what are you anxious about in life right now? Second is, what are you ashamed of in your life? Or what were you ashamed of? The third was, what are you wanting or longing for right now? And the fourth one is, what's the next thing you're hoping to create with the Lord? At some point, if desiring friends in the Lord is something you want, you've got to risk and you've got to ask questions that sometimes feel very taboo in our culture to be able to ask. But it's when people know us on the deeper soul level, we find friendship with the Lord. I, uh, I, have, this, um, I have this terrible thing about me. Uh, I, I'm a little bit of a gerbophobe. Uh, I'm bringing that to church today. Uh, but I hide it really well, like really well. You would not know. And you're like, how bad is it? I'm like, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. Uh, I just try to avoid door handles at all costs, but it's not bad. It's not bad. And uh, I hide it, but the people who are closest to me, oh, they know. They know. Uh, my biggest one is like gas handles, like gas pump handles. Those are a nightmare. Okay, all of you are just grabbing your gas handles. Thousands of people have touched that. You're just grabbing them, and then you're just driving away with it. That's a tainted steering wheel, y'all. Like, I think about these things all the time. My friends know it. I remember one time, we were actually in the city, and uh, we were talking to a man that was on the side of the road, and uh, he had probably experienced uh, different seasons of homelessness. And I'll never forget when I walked away from that conversation, uh, I remember my friend just tapped me on the shoulder, and he was like, hey, I know you. You know, as a Jesus follower, it'd probably go a long way if you actually shook that man's hand. 
That's the type of knowing that I'm talking about. It's not groundbreaking. I didn't tell you something that was massive. But friends, when they know you at a level, they can remind you of the work that's happening within. Okay, so maybe that's the funny way to say it. Let me say it the more direct way. When friends know what your temptations are for greed with finances. When friends know what the trigger points are in your marriage. I'm not talking like just the generic like, oh yeah, we have, we have discussions every once in a while. No, like the true tension point. When friends know what you're praying for that have not been answered, those are the type of moments where we start to get aware to what the Spirit is doing in each other's lives. But you got to know them. I think the one word I was praying over this week for Round Rock is like, I, I think, you know, people pull out that word from Proverbs all the time, you know, iron sharpens iron. I know I, we got some people in this church that they're silversmiths. Like, they're like, that's right. That's right. I'm going to let them know. I'm going to sharpen them. I'm going to sharpen them in the Lord. You got to know them. You got to know them first. I know some of you have experienced hurt because you've had people walk into your life and be like, you know what needs to change? And they don't know you. They don't know the story back behind. We need to get to know what the Spirit is doing before we just start inserting ourselves into people's lives and telling them what we think. And then the fourth one is just, are we sharing friendship with Jesus? This feels like the most church question of all of them. But I want you to hear me with this. Are we sharing life with Jesus? You know, we all reach those different seasons with friends. If we're not turned off, we are usually thinking, how come they're not a better friend? What's going on with them? Like, like they should be there for me. Do you know how much I've done for them? I don't see what they're doing for me. All of us hit that different season. And one of the reminders is we can't change people. We can try to control them, but we can't change them. But we can't have friendship with the one who can change us. We can be changed. Jesus actually says, that a friend, there's no greater love than one who actually lays down his life for us. That's what love of a friendship is. For some of us, we need to come back to the feet of Jesus to be reminded. The world's definition of love is something to the effect of, uh, if, it, if, it, uh, if you feel good feelings towards them, that's love. And the love of Jesus is not displayed through that. The love of Jesus is actually displayed through the cross. That He actually holds the tension. That He goes to the cross. He dies on the cross. He's resurrected. And when Jesus comes back, He does not come back to His friends and say, I told you so. He doesn't come back and like, you should have listened to me. He comes back and He invites friendship again. I'm not walking away. I am here to stay. That's the type of love of Jesus. The love of Jesus is transformational. It's directional. He's got a purpose for his friendship that he has with you. And he's for you. And he's with you. I know for some of us, we've lost friends over the years. I know for some of us, we've had friendships that have gone sideways, that have been hurtful. I know some of us in this church have had friends that have moved away. And it's been really hard on us. Friendship will be difficult. It's a part of one of the troubles that we will run into. 
But the good news of God is that you can start with the place of friendship with Jesus. And we'll actually pour out love to help you be a more truer and better friend to your friends. Some friends may let you down in this life. But the good news of God is that Jesus has laid down his life. He is there. He's not walking away. He's the source of love that pours out into our friendships. I guess in another way of what I'm trying to say is he sings the song over and over and over again to us when we need to know that we're loved and we're accepted. And then he asks us to sing the song to our friends. Uh, so Lord, I know that friendship is a tender, tender thing for some of us. Lord, for those of us who are hurting right now in relationships and feel disconnection, you know, Holy Spirit, we invite you. Can you minister to us? Can you help heal us? Can you pour out your love again? For us to be able to love and reconnect with those who we love deeply. And Lord, I pray for those of us who hunger and crave for more connection. May you reveal to us this week the windows, the opportunities to ask risky questions, to know the work of the Spirit in their lives, and to dedicate the time to know you. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.